Welcome to the Mobility Innovators Podcast. Hello everyone. I'm so happy to welcome all the listeners from around the world to Mobility Innovators Podcast. I'm your host, Jaspal Singh. Mobility Innovator Podcast invites innovators in the transportation and logistics sector to share their thought about the key changes in the sector, about their work, and what is their forecast for the future. When I was thinking about my first guest, it was a very easy choice for me. I know someone who is heading a 135-year-old international organization, having more than 2,000 members in 100 countries. The person I really admire and feel inspired. I'm so happy to welcome Mohammad Nizgani, Secretary General of International Association of Public Transport. It's time to listen and learn. Hello, Mohammed. Thank you so much for accepting our invite. Uh, we are so fortunate to start our innovation journey with you. Hello, Jaspal, and thank you very much for uh, offering me this opportunity to participate in this podcast. Thank you, Mohammed. Today, I'll be spending time to learn more about your leadership strategy, about you and your perspective on mobility. So to start with, I would like to ask you to share a little more about yourself and about UITP to our listener. So I was uh, born in Tunisia 58 years ago, grew up there, uh, graduated in industrial engineering. Then I uh, moved to Paris where I studied transport and where I started working after those studies. I'm currently the secretary general of UITP. So secretary general means executive director of UITP, which is the International Association of Public Transport. Uh, UITP is an very old non-for-profit association established in 1885 uh, in Belgium. Uh, it gathers the public transport operators, the uh, public authorities and regulators of uh, mobility, the supplying industry, consultants, universities with interest in urban mobility. So in total is about 2000 organizations, more or less from 100 countries. And, uh, UITP covers all urban and suburban mobility solutions, including metros, tramways, buses, ferries, shared modes, taxis, ride hailing. So I would say every mode except the individual use of cars. And, uh, and our mission is to advocate for public transport and sustainable mobility, to grow knowledge and research in this field and, and also uh, act uh, or offer a platform for mobility stakeholders where they can meet, uh, they can work together and help them develop their vision and business in the field of public transport. Great, thank you. Thank you for sharing this. And, and uh, I, I know like UATP history of 135 year old is, is a big national archive for Belgium uh, government. You know, like you mentioned, you uh, started uh, your career long back in transportation. I think it's like more than 32 years now in transportation, out of which 23 years uh, are with UITP. So it showed that, uh, you know, you really love UITP. That's why you're sticking around for so long. So I'm curious to know, how did you start working in mobility sector? And actually what motivate you to continue to work in the same sector for so long? I mean, 32 years, it's, it's long period and something which is not on your LinkedIn. So something I want to know, which is personal to you. Actually, it started when, uh, when I was a student in Tunisia in the engineering school. 
Uh, I remember we had a visiting professor from the Polytechnical School of Lausanne in Switzerland. It's a very, uh, very famous school in, in, in mobility and transport. And he was there to uh, teach us uh, transport during one week. We had a one week seminar about transport. Mm -hmm. And I liked very much his lesson and the link with my everyday life of being a regular user of public transport since I was a child. Actually. So he was talking about issues that were very concrete for me, uh, which was not the case in many matters we were studying at that time. You know, we studied a lot of matters in the engineering school and some of them are very theoretical, or, and, but this one is was very applied to, to, to real life. And at the end of the year, I decided to continue studying uh, transport in France. So I moved to France. I joined the, uh, it's called the Ecole Nationale des Ponts et Chaussées in Paris. It's also the highway uh, school in Paris for a master in transportation. And since then, I have been working in the transportation sector for my whole career. Uh, first, I started working in a public uh, organization in the field of energy efficiency of urban mobility. So you see it's a topic which is very, very important now. Uh, then in a consulting company, the French one, mainly working in Africa and in Eurasia. And then in UITP since uh, 1999, uh, where I started as a researcher and then had many other positions, including the management of the work program of the association, the, the development in MENA in the Middle East and North Africa, where I established the Dubai office, uh, the management of the global summit of, of the association for many years, and now uh, Secretary General since uh, uh, January 2018. That's, that's really a remarkable journey, and I really love uh, how it started, you know, with that uh, one week lecture. Uh, you know, I just want to now touch upon because um, uh, being a global leader, you're meeting a lot of people around the globe and all. And you've seen the pandemic has really a big negative impact on the transportation and travel industry. You know, it's it's like, it's very sad that transport agency lost 50% of their ridership. I mean, kudos to your leadership. You know, UITV did a wonderful job by sharing uh, some of the best practices with member. Now you're meeting CEO and high level executive and transit agency in the industry. Can you share a glimpse of some of the backroom discussion you have with these leaders? Like what they are thinking uh, are they talking about funding, technology, organizational restructuring, staff? Like, what kind of discussion you have with these leaders? Actually, the, the pandemic has uh, had and still having important impacts on, on public transport. Uh, you may remember that uh, most agencies lost 90 to 95% of their ridership during the first two, three months of the, of the pandemic in, in 2020. Now, after almost two years, they recovered, let's say, 60 to 80 percent uh, of the pre-pandemic uh, levels. Uh, the discussion happening also actually evolved with the with the different phases of the pandemic. So first, it was about learning how to operate in this uh, new context, uh, for which the sector was not prepared at all. I mean, this disinfection and physical distancing and all the things are new to to public transport. Then it was also about showing the essential role of public transport by making sure there is a continuity of operation during the lockdown. You remember that in our cities, the cities were, were closed, but the doors of public transport remained open for everyone. And so uh, it was very important to show the essential role of public transport. Then it was important also to 
advocate to get the needed financial support for the sector, because we have seen a number of sectors like the car industry, the, uh, the tourism industry, for example, uh, they got they got financial support from the governments, but public transport was not uh, was like uh, at the end of the list of sectors to be supported. So it was important for us to to advocate for that. Then uh, the pandemic offered also the opportunity to accelerate some projects, in particular digi digitalization of the network, for example, and the service. We have seen a lot of uh, contactless ticketing projects that were uh, implemented during that uh, or, or be due to this crisis because we wanted to avoid contacts uh, yeah. during payments, etc. And so uh, these projects were, were implemented. Also, we have seen a lot of apps supporting the travelers, uh, also scheduling of the of the service. So all of things related to digitalization uh, have been implemented during this pandemic uh, context. Then I would say one important issue was also about how to improve the resilience of the sector uh, to better or to be better prepared for future pandemics, but also better prepared for natural catastrophes, climate events. So the pandemic made it uh, clear and, and essential to have a resilient public transport system. Also, decarbonization has been on the top of the agenda. Uh, it's not a new topic, of course, but this crisis has confirmed the negative impacts that cars are having on our environment. Remember, during the lockdown, you know, this empty streets uh, that made us realize how much space is, is wasted for cars. And it made it clear that sustainable mobility can only be achieved thanks to walking, to cycling, to public transport and shared mobility. So it's one of the main lessons of this uh, of this crisis, and and this were the the topic I would say discussed with with, with public transport leaders uh, and, and advanced during uh, during this uh, this context. And so, as you can understand, the pandemic offered the opportunity to to put mobility and public transport on the political agenda, and that's really one great uh, silver lining of the crisis. And so, yeah. Uh, it was not just a crisis or just a, uh, a challenge. It, it offered also a lot of opportunities. Yeah, no, you rightly mentioned, you know, a lot of new innovation happened during the adverse time and, and nobody can forget the, the images of clear sky and, you know, dolphin in Venice River and all when, when humans were not there or we, we have no car on the street and all. And, and this actually, you know, very good segment to, to move to our next question, because uh, I think you are one of the firm believer and user of new technology and processes. I mean, you love Twitter and uh, you love to adopt new technology. I always see uh, anything new come, you always try to see how it can be used in public transportation. And, and in fact, you have implemented a lot of new tools within UITP as well in last two years. How do you think uh, technology will shape up the future of mobility? I think technology first is an accelerator of changes. Uh, it offers opportunities to make uh, mobility more efficient, uh, maintenance more predictive, um, I'd say uh, public transport more customer focused. Uh, and, and we see the impact of technology, for example, in the decarbonization uh, of transport through the electrification, through the introduction of zero emission vehicles, for example. Uh, also, automation is making public transport uh, more flexible to operate and safer. Uh, so there are endless possibilities offered by technology 
and 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 those technologies, those possibilities and opportunities really are making the the life of the customers of the end user uh, easier and uh, making making it easier to navigate in public transport systems and network network easier to pay easier to get the information so uh, a lot of uh, uh, opportunities but and there is a but <laughs> uh, technology remains a means to an end and it's a tool so we should not forget it i mean it's an no operational solution and not a policy in itself so first we need to define policy priorities we need to have a, uh, clear strategies we need to define the strategic level i would say and then see how technology can help implement the policy and it, not the other way around so sometimes uh, in some cases there are some policy makers that uh, you know will uh, start talking about technologies before even uh, telling you clearly what what is their strategy what they want to achieve and technology will not achieve will not define what what we want to achieve we have first to define it ourselves and to dare to take those uh, the, the, to, to define those objectives and then technology will certainly help and that's the, the the good thing with technology that it will make us do things quicker faster and in a more more efficient way thank you mohammed you you raise actually a very good point about the technology you know i i love what you said it's uh, technology is acceleration of change and then technology is a tool it's not the mean uh, it's not the end uh, you know it's come to the next point which is about uh, you are one of the biggest supporter of public transportation and at the same time uh, you love to promote all innovations and all cities are very excited about autonomous mobility ride sharing e scooters and you know many other tool urban air mobility and all do you think both world can coexist and uh, grow together i mean there is a scope and space for uh, the traditional transportation and new mobility to exist uh, i would like to say that uh, public mass transport is not just about mass transit for me public transport is any mobility solution which is publicly accessible and which could be shared either over space like we are all in the same car or the same bus or over time like we have a vehicle which is used by different uh, successive users i would say and this is how i define public transport so it means it's mass transit as the backbone and this is very important complemented by shared and on demand mobility solutions and it's at the end everything except the individual use of cars really i would like to insist on that it's a wider scope uh, of of public transport and this is the only way uh, we have to reduce traffic congestion because we'll need less vehicles since most of them will be shared or used collectively so that's my my my, my approach i'll say for for public transport and uh, you mentioned autonomous vehicles for example so autonomous vehicles could be part of the solution of course with the condition that they are not used individually but part of a fleet of shared and on demand shuttles complementing mass public transport which remains the backbone uh, and and if you see i mean this vision actually put people at the heart because with such mobility system we move people and not cars we better use the road space in favor of people and we we free a lot of space which is now used for parking for example and give it back to people so I mean, the question why, why, was how do you think both worlds can coexist together? 
they can coexist, of course, and, and I, uh, with the condition that we define our mobility system by putting people at its heart. No, that that's a that's a great point, and I agree with you. It's uh, it's, I I really want to highlight one of the report published by UITP about autonomous mobility. That it it's it's a great tool, if it's uh, used as a shared mobility, not as individual mobility. Uh, you know, so that's a great point, and I think now the biggest challenge, like you mentioned about new technology and innovations and and uh, all these kind of a stuff. We are seeing a big demographic shift, you know, from baby boomer to millennial to generation Z and very soon generation alpha, you know, people who are born after 2010, uh, or you can say TikTok generation. Uh, I would love to hear your view on like how public transport agencies can attract new generation of passenger because uh, once people are getting old, you know, you need new passenger, how to attract them to bring to public transportation? Hmm. Uh, if we look to those uh, new generation of passengers, I would say, Contrary to the, to the baby boomers, this new generation of travelers, they are born in a context which is not in favor of cars. Say. So increasing traffic congestion, growing pollution, greenhouse gas emissions, more road accidents, and so on. So really, they, 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 they are born in that, in that context. Uh, and also more and more young people don't want to drive a license. We see it in many countries. And, and, and because they, they have an increasing uh, awareness, environmental awareness amongst those, those, uh, those young people. And also because there are more and more mobility solutions available to them. I just mentioned, you know, this combination between mass transit and on-demand uh, vehicles, for example. So they have uh, diverse solutions from working to cycling to public transport, shared and on-demand solutions. So the young people, they see the benefits uh, this solution bring in terms of flexibility and availability. Uh, and, and they can personalize their mobility package uh, based on their needs, which can vary from day to day or depending on the purpose of the trip or yeah, even during, during the day, they may use different modes of transport based on the purpose of, the, of their trip. And also they are familiar with digital tools which make all these solutions accessible at their fingertips. So, so you see, I mean, uh, they, are, they, they are ready for that. They are ready for this, uh, for this uh, combination of modes, I would say. And uh, if we want to attract them in public transport, in this shared mobility and in this wider scope of public transport, I would say, it's also important to show them how public transit can help them in their life. Uh, making sure the services are available to access their jobs, their leisure activities, not just during peak hours, or, or, but also uh, late evening and during weekends, because they, it's, it's important that they feel there is always a solution to their mobility need. Because if we, if we want them to avoid owning a cars and having a car, but jumping in public transport or in this uh, on-demand mode. So in, in other words, I would say it's important to make them think public transport as their preferred mobility choice. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And actually you're very right uh, that they already have all the tools. It's just, they need to be incentivized by providing a service which suit to their requirement, you know, uh, providing late evening services, weekend services when they use a more. That's great. You know, in the beginning, you mentioned that you you started working in MENA. And I would say when you started talking about public transportation in MENA, 
you were the only one you know and and you actually started a movement now we see big development happening in mena so you know uh, like i would say both mena and africa you know uh, the whole africa region were not a good example of public transportation uh, but things are changing very fast and we are witnessing a big investment you know in dubai in saudi and all like you know saudi arabia will launch one of the biggest metro system in riyadh in one go you know nobody has done that ever uh, similarly africa is seeing a lot of technology what do you think the public transport landscape will change in these region in next 10 year what what are the potential you see in both mena and africa yeah indeed there are uh, uh, yeah there is an amazing development of public transport in, in the region but i would say there are also differences between countries in the mena region and in africa in terms of evolution of mobility some of the countries in particular in north africa and if i take tunisia for example my my own country uh those countries they have a tradition of public transport they have a history of public transport public transport is not new to them uh other countries and especially in africa the mobility system is based on informal transport or used to be based on in, in, on informal transport and more recently we have seen the development of large public transport projects such as in the gulf countries uh, but also in south africa in egypt in the maghreb countries in senegal they inaugurated the, recently the new uh, uh rail uh, suburban rail system for example yeah. so it this reflects an increasing awareness that cities need mass transit at their backbone and and an increasing awareness amongst the the policy makers also in these countries and even those which were designed around car usage like cities like dubai or doha or riyadh uh, where the cost of oil is very cheap and hence the use of cars they have revisited their priorities to develop public transport systems so it's a very positive development also what's interesting is that in all those cities in mena and also in african cities some of them uh, they opt for the latest technologies mm-hmm. the same ones implemented in europe or in asia and for some of them even more advanced technologies and this is this is a new i mean uh, public na- transport used to be seen as the 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 mode for those who have no choice now it is seen uh, it 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 is it is not seen anymore as as a low quality service for low income people but a solution which contributes to the development of a better quality of life a solution that uh, uh, boosts the economy and really what is happening now in in the gulf for example uh, or in morocco for example really with the investment they are they are putting in public transport it's because they really believe public transport will uh, develop the economy and will uh, improve the quality of life of, of of people so this is a major change in the perception of public transport by policy makers in those regions also one important uh, element is the increasing use of apps for ride hailing services for example in this country mm. some of them also developed locally by local startups so this is also uh, in a very interesting uh, development so i would say definitely i mean public transport has a bright future in this region and will develop rapidly in the coming 10 years and i'm very happy of this uh, uh, of this development because uh, it shows that public transport is universal is not exclusive to one region or to a certain category of cities but it's a universal solution for everyone yeah no i agree i agree you know it's a, and you really touch a important point that how public transport can help the economic development of the city and we are seeing 
happening in Dubai and Riyadh and and some of the city which were you know the cost of oil is so cheap but still they are relying more on public transportation i just want to touch base one important point which is personal to you as well i mean not many people know that you are a researcher at heart you love to uh, do research and understand topic and you know build some report i mean you did one study on electronic ticketing in public transportation in 2008 you know long back uh, and in that study you cover about nfc smart cars interoperability i mean nobody was talking about those thing at that time you know people were not thinking and which is happening now uh, and many thing have really changed in next in last uh, one decade uh, what's your view on ticketing you know you mentioned about the contact like ticketing adoption during the pandemic and all so what's your view on uh, the future of ticketing and mobility as a service which is a buzzword everywhere you know we we hear about mass everywhere what do you think uh, the future of this you know jaspal i'm i'm uh, myself surprised because people are still contacting me regarding this study of 12, 2008 uh because it's somewhere on internet oh, it's, and it's a i still study. receive i still receive emails from people saying oh would like to have a discussion with you about ticketing etc about smart card but i tell them look i am not involved anymore as as an expert in this field that's so why i cannot i cannot do the same thing i did I did some year, some years ago, but yeah, ticketing is 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 an important tool in 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 making public transport more attractive. Of course, it's it's obvious. Huh? Uh, if if people struggle to to understand how it works to to get the right ticket, they they will refrain from using public transport. Mm. So uh, it's it's important to yeah to 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 use. For example, you mentioned electronic ticketing, so it's a, it offers the opportunity to make it simple to access public transport. even if you don't know in detail how the fare is calculated you think about uh, about uh, uh, smartphones for example about mobiles yeah? you you don't know the details about how the fare is calculated but it's so easy to use your smartphone so public transport should be as easy as using a smartphone and electronic ticketing contributes to that and there are many examples uh, of cities which increase the use of public transport thanks to smart ticketing in london in hong kong in singapore i mean these are very Uh, emblematic uh, cities, I would say, and since the the future of mobility depends on the capacity to combine mass transit with shared and on-demand services, it's then essential to have a ticketing system that uh, supports this approach. And this is where mass mobility as a service is is key. And you you are right to mention this. Uh, and then mass is, I would say, the tool that will make uh, booking and paying. possible for all modes combined mm. and and it makes it possible at the end to to plan and pay door to door and not just station to station mm. and and this is important because the moment of truth i would say is when you are at home or in your office and you have to decide which mode mode you are going to use and if there you have already the possibility to plan your trip to pay for it door to door then it will make it easy to opt for public transport and that's what mass can can bring to 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 the people so at the end uh, people and and I insist again they will not need to own a car if because there will be always a solution to answer their expectation and mm-hmm. and and mass can offer that so mass has a great potential but needs a spirit of collaboration and trust between the different stakeholders because must involves a lot of stakeholders uh must public transport of course 
but also on-demand, uh, shared mobility systems, etc., bike sharing, car sharing, etc. And, and so we need the collaboration and the trust between the different stakeholders to make it easy. And I insist on making it easy because if it's easy, people will use it. And that's uh, how I see the potential of, of mass. Well, that, that's a great point. You know, you mentioned, I really love what you said, from station to station to door to door, you know, that, that's a mass can build. And, and it's all about trust and collaboration. One question as being a secretary general of UITP, and, and you mentioned, you know, we have members in hundred countries and you keep traveling, you know, I, because of pandemic it stopped, but you, you are like a global trotter and you travel so many countries around the world. So in short, I can say you're like a global public transportation expert. What do you think different countries and continent can learn from each other? You're right to say I'm, 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 I'm a globetrotter. Uh, I have been uh, working actually in an international context for my whole career since I, I started, except the first two years actually. Uh, so more than 30 years now working in an international context. And one of the lessons I learned after visiting uh, tens of cities is that uh, there is not one city or one country or one continent which has succeeded in every aspect of mobility or, or public transport. So that's why, you know, I don't like when we speak about uh, best practice. For me, there are only good practices. Mm. Uh, there are good practices, practice cases everywhere in the world, and we can learn from every city, every country, and every continent. So, as I said, there is no, not such best practice, but only good practices because they're there's always something missing that you can learn from another city. The, the perfection doesn't exist in, in, in public transport or in the mobility field. And, uh, and, and also what I learned is that all those who say, oh, this is not possible in my city, or they say we have cultural specificities which prevent us to change, you know. I mean, these people, these are people who are inventing reasons for not doing things. Mm. And, there is always room for change and improvement, but sometimes it needs political courage. So when they say, you know, we have local specificities, blah, 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 it means we are we don't dare to change. Not we cannot change. You can change, but you have to dare. So, and having said that, also the, the learning experience should consider the institutional arrangements, the regulatory framework, for example, the historical consideration that in some cases, prevent to replicate projects because you know it's it, it, we we can see a very good project in in one city but it's not that obvious to replicate it the same way in my city because because the, the institutional context is not the same because you know the, the the regulatory framework is different so it means that those projects need to be redefined considering the local conditions but there is always a way to to do it so and that's one of the, of the lessons I, I learned really is that uh, you can get inspiration from any city in the world, from any continent. And I'm happy to see that the good practice cases, they could be, you know, in Bogota for BRT, for example, or in Singapore for the, uh, uh, the, the, the role of a transport authority, or in Moscow for the number of electric buses they have there, you know, uh, or in... Uh, in, 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 in Nigeria, in Lagos, they have uh, uh, redefined BRT uh, locally by having creating this concept of light BRT, for example. So, so you see there, there, there are, uh, now I'm happy to see in Dubai, they have the longest uh, driverless uh, metro system in the world. Yeah. You know, 
you see the everywhere, everywhere, and 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 that's the the beauty of public transport. Again, it's a universal uh, universal solution. Well, that's that's. Thank you for sharing this point. Now I'll never say best practices. I'll always say good practices. <laughs> you know? And and sharing such good example, like you are actually right. You know, it's it's never like pandemic has shown that. Uh, and I think UITP was champion in that perspective, sharing a lot of knowledge from across the globe, good practices uh, from different countries uh, with each other. So that's a great point. And a lot of people don't know that you are, uh, you know, big fan of football. And and uh, I really love the way you draw, you know, the business and leadership lesson from the game. I mean, you bring some of the remarkable lessons from football, uh, you know, for for the leadership, for the management and all. What do you think the football can teach to leaders in mobility sector? Oh, football. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say, uh, yeah, football is a, is a school, actually, where we, we can learn a lot about leadership, about team organization, about teamwork. Um, so I would say, and not just the leaders in mobility can learn from football, but any leaders. Uh, for example, uh, yeah, a company, if we take a company, a company is a team of people. Uh, football, if we want players to play well together, they need to practice. Uh, they do it, like, by the way, on a, on a daily basis to be ready for the match. Yeah. And this is yeah. to say also that training is essential at all levels of the company. Practicing, training, you know, it's, it's important. And you can never say, uh, I have learned everything. No, you have to do it to do it. And even those, the most professional Football players, they have to do it every day. Even those stars, they have to do it every day. In football, the objective is clear. It's to score, to win the match. It's the same in a company. It must be clear to all employees. What is What are the objectives we are pursuing? Where the company is headed to? So it's important for a leader to express those objectives and share them with the employees. And sometimes you find in companies where employees, they don't know at the end. Why? We are doing this. Where do we do we want to to go? Also, uh, a coach of a football team, uh, of course, he or she manages the team. They define the strategy for the game. They motivate each player to make them give the most of themselves. But a coach doesn't play in the team. So that's how a leader should behave: by empowering the team, but not doing by himself by keeping himself out of the game and, and making the players feel responsible, feel accountable of, mm. of what, will be, what will be done. They are the, the one who have an impact on the, uh, on, the, on, the, on, the result, on the final result. The coach can only be there to coach them, of course, to motivate them, to give them the tools uh, on, 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 on to perform better. And there are many of such examples in, in football. I, I uh, have always been interested by two characters that are not those who generally attract attention of the majority in, in, in football, you know. Um, first, the goalkeeper. Yeah. We, we often speak about the stars in the team, but we rarely mention the goalkeeper. But I, I love goalkeepers like, uh, because... Uh, for me, they are the last bastion of the team. You know, it's it's the one uh, in charge of the ultimate defense. Uh, he steers the defense. He safeguards the heart, and he has an overall vision of the game. You know, when you are a goalkeeper, you see the whole 
uh, the whole uh, pitch so you can you can have a vision uh, of the game and when i was young i used to go to the stadium and i like sitting behind the goalkeeper to put myself in his in his shoes and it was my way to be to be a goalkeeper mm-hmm. and the other character i have always been interested in is, is the coach the trainer you know the one who who defines the strategy for the game who finds the right words to motivate the, the team uh, who invents the right formula to make uh, people with uh, different origins, different ways of playing, different mentalities, different ages, different experiences play together and give the best of themselves for the benefit of the team. And that's exactly what a leader is expected to do in his or her organization. Think about the company. You have people from different nationalities, different mentalities, different culture, but you know you need to find the right, the magic formula that will make them perform uh, the best. And I am, I am impressed by uh, a coach who takes the lead of a team and makes this team progress and eventually win. You know, they start from scratch almost and they, you know, progress and win. And the coach who define at the end the right strategy and succeed to win against stronger teams. Think about competitors of a company, for example, these stronger teams, you know, uh, dares to, he, he dares to change the position of a player Reorganizing a team, you know, reorganizing the company, replace a player by another one to make the team win, and mm. and this is for me uh, something very inspiring uh, that I learned from football. And and there are coaches even that who ha- have invented new ways of playing, who made us discover new players, who made us uh, discover new talents. That's also one thing we can learn from from football. So. My dream was not to become a good field player, but to be, to become a goalkeeper or a coach in football. And now, of course, I am not a professional footballer, but uh, in my position, I feel myself like the coach of football team. And mm. I, love, I love that. So, Jaspal, you wanted me to talk about public transport, and now I'm talking about football. <laughs> kind of lesson and the kind of thing you brought from the game, it's its remarkable, and that's important. And if you allow, I may ask the follow-up question. You know, you said you love goalkeeper, and, and nobody recognized the importance of goalkeeper. And you shared one story, a recent game, where the goalkeeper actually scored. Yes. He became, he came forward, and he scored for the team. And I really love where you mentioned that during pandemic, that's a goal of every employee should be, you know, not, not to be stand in one corner, but come in the front and play and all. W- what do you feel? Who should be the goalkeeper in the company? Is it the CEO? Is it the, the, the every employee should be the goalkeeper? Who should be the goalkeeper in the company? When I talked about the goalkeeper, I said, well, something I like is that the goalkeeper is the one who have a, a view on the whole, on the whole team, you know, because he's in a position where he can see the, the, the whole pitch. And, uh, and it means that from time to time, we have to take some distance to observe. And uh, if you are always, you know, uh, uh, doing things, you know, without, without taking time to, to take distance, to think, to see things from different perspective, you know, uh, you can't, uh, you can't uh, change the way uh, you are doing things. So everyone can be one of those uh, goalkeepers. Huh? Uh, mm. And, and that's, uh, that's uh, yeah, that's possible for everyone, indeed. But for, for sure, the, uh, the, the heads of departments, the, uh, the chief officers, etc., 
they have to put themselves in this kind of, uh, of situation more often than someone who is an expert in his field or, or someone who is a junior manager where these people, they are more in the production, I would say, and less in, in, the, in the reflection. That's a great point. You you have so much to share. I, I have one more question for you. And it's it's actually, I, I mean, you have a mission and, and a lot of people don't know how to involve women in, in the in the public transportation in mobility sector. A lot of people don't know you have a clear policy about men, like you will never participate in a panel where there is no woman speaker or, and it's a personal mission. And I, I must congratulate you because in last two years, we have seen a remarkable change in, in situation. Uh, what do you think, uh, what's stopping the female executive to participate in mobility sector and how it can be done, how one can promote more more female uh, executive in the mobility sector? No, uh, uh, thank you for, uh, for mentioning this because it's a topic which is very close to my heart uh, uh, because I, I believe in the, uh, in the benefits of diversity. And this diversity is, of course, more women and men working together, but also diversity in terms of nationalities, in terms of, uh, of profiles of people in general. And, and, and that's uh, very important. Uh, I think uh, we, if we want public transport to attract more women, uh, if we want to, to have more women interested in, in, in public transport, it's important that uh, uh, the way we, we, we profile also the sector, uh, uh, it's it's uh, uh, that we, we we need to profile it in to make it more attractive to to women. We need also to make sure that uh, there is no uh, bias when we interview people, when we uh, recruit people. But making sure, for example, in a panel when you interview candidates, we have women and men in those panels and not mm. men only. I I like this uh, example of the uh, uh, transport company in Montreal. Uh, where they decided to have mixed panels. And once they took the decision, they realized that they are hiring, hiring much more women in the company. So it's a very simple, simple uh, solution. Uh, it's about uh, also being more, uh, more uh, attentive and more understanding to the uh, uh, specificities of women or to their family conditions sometimes, because we all know, I mean, they are much more involved in, in, in their families than men. And so sometimes we need to understand the flexibility they are, they are asking. And this flexibility should not prevent them to grow in the, in the company. And we have to accept this and, to, and, and also to, uh, to, to understand that diversity is, is a benefit for the company. I mean, when we discuss topics and you have men and women discussing those topics, you come with much more opportunities, much more possibilities for the, for, for the solution when you define the solution you are discussing. So that's, a, that's a very important. And, 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 and we need to also to fight this cliche uh, that some people have in mind. Sometimes, oh, but this is not for women or this job is not good for women. Or No, no, that's wrong. There is no job which is not good for women or a job which is good only for men. So... Mm. We really we have to open uh, our mind, and I would like to finish by uh, sharing a very personal uh, uh, story. Is that uh, I as I was born in Tunisia, as I told you, uh, during the uh, 60s. Uh, at that time, Tunisia was one of the uh, 
counties where the uh, in the Arab among the Arab counties where the uh, uh, the woman condition or when women was were the, the the most free compared to other Arab countries, and uh, this is uh, thanks to the, uh, the 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 president of Tunisia uh, who uh, led the country in uh, in uh, in the fifties after the independence and who was one of the first to declare uh, the the let's say the the, the, the emancipation or, or to to, to encourage the emancipation of uh, of women. Mm. And I was born in a family after five sisters. Mm. And I grew up in that family, seeing my five sisters succeeding in their studies, in their professional life. And for me, it was, I was not realizing at that time the, that they had to fight for that. You know, mm. for me, I was seeing them succeeding. And for me, it was obvious that this is how women are developing and this is how women are growing in this society and i discovered later don't know that they had to fight for that that it was not uh, obvious for them and so i learned from them a lot i learned and they inspired me and it is one of the reasons also i for me it's very natural to to fight for women to have a better place in the society and a better place in in public transport Thank you for sharing. Well, and I really love your this mission. Uh, and and we are seeing some change. You know, we are seeing uh, more and more female participation in events and in a lot of uh, trainings and and all other places. Great. So I mean, we are at end of our our discussion. So I have a, a short tire question round, uh, and I'll ask you five questions, and you need to just answer it quickly. Just don't don't think too much about it. Just say whatever comes to your mind. First question, if you're ready, you know, I can just quickly. <laughs> throw this question to you okay <laughs> <laughs> so uh if you were not in mobility sector what other profession you would have selected maybe a writer a stage actor a singer a musician something an artistic profession i would say or a, or a football coach Oh, great. <laughs> you can still be a football coach, you know, bringing some learning from leadership to, to football. Uh, how many countries you have traveled so far and which is your favorite? Uh, I think about 75 to 80 countries. Okay. Uh, and uh, the, favorite, the favorite is always the next one, uh, Jasper. The next one I will discover. <laughs> this will be my favorite. <laughs> That's a great point. What's your favorite public transportation network? Which city has a favorite? Uh, yeah, I, I would say, you know, I, I love uh, London's red buses. Uh, they are iconic and so yeah. different from any other, other cities. Also, I love the M Moscow Metro, for example, for its efficiency and its beauty. So, you know, choosing a favorite one is not that easy, that easy but, you know, those two are at London for the red buses and Moscow for the metro. It really is, is I, I love them. Oh, great. The next question may be difficult for you. Who is your favorite business leader in the mobility sector? You know, there is one person who uh, uh, inspires me and uh, who impresses me. Is uh, Unfortunately, he passed away last year is uh, Jaime Lerner, you know, who invented the BRT. He's a Brazilian. Mm -hmm. He used to be the mayor of Curitiba, who was the first city where a BRT was implemented. And actually, 
he invented the BRT. He, he, he got the, the budget to build the metro. And he said, oh, with this budget, instead of building, uh, you know, I don't know, X kilometers of metro, I will, be, I will build 10 times more BRT lines. And, uh, and so he, 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 he invented something which makes public transport system more affordable for every country. So, and, uh, and he came not just with, with, the, with the BRT, but with a new way of uh, uh, integrating between urban planning and, and public transport. And so really, I had the opportunity to meet him and I, I really very inspiring and I'm learning a lot from him. No, that's a great choice. That's a great choice. And, and the last question is, if you can change one thing in life, what would it be? <laughs> in my life, I will not change anything. I'm happy and I'm lucky. But in life in general, I would say, yeah, anything, anything that makes people healthier and happier, uh, of course, if I have the possibility to do that, I would, I would do it. That's great, Mohamed. I mean, uh, it's so fun to talk to you and thank you so much for your great insight. You know, I really love this conversation. Thank you very much, Jasper. I enjoyed very much talking to you and uh, thanks. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We will be inviting some other inspiring guests in coming weeks. You can subscribe us online to get the notifications. If you have any feedback and suggestion for this podcast, please do write to us at info at the rate mobility-innovators.com. See you next time. Thank you.